Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land that we make this podcast. And I extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that are listening to this episode. Yama. G'day, I'm Rowdy Walden, podcaster, writer, TV host, and you might have even heard me talk about sex before, but this is Talking Frank. This podcast is going to cover every nook and cranny of Australia's sex life, from unexpected fluids to modern dating and even STIs. We're going to get frank about it. For this episode, I wanted to talk about men. Well, men's sexual health. And if you're not a man, you can still keep listening because maybe you sleep with men or you have a housemate or a friend who's a man and you might be able to offer them some pointers and tips. Now, it's been reported that men think about sex 19 times a day. And I'm sure not all of it is about sexual intercourse. Surely we're all thinking about penis size and lumps and bumps and maybe some unexpected fluid. So come on, let's be frank about men's sexual health. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Brad McKay. He's an Aussie doctor who you might recognise from Embarrassing Bodies Down Under or the plethora of other programs and podcasts he's been on. Okay, so we have these um, DMs that are normally stories or questions that people send in. We've had two stories sent in uh, by some young men. Do you mind um, sharing your expertise? (laughs) That is not an issue. Okay, here's the first one. Hey, I was just wondering if you had any advice or insights into sort of how to manage and and cope with that uh, pressure that comes with being a a young male and the expectation to be uh, fairly sexually active from a, you know, young age. I know for me growing growing up pretty much around, uh, you know, rugby clubs my my whole life, uh, it was definitely something that I struggled with sort of trying to balance that external pressure as well as what what I was comfortable with at the time uh, and and how I felt. So yeah, any advice for how to stay true and sort of confident in your, and be confident in yourself to uh, to trust what you're doing is right would be cool. I feel like even as an adult, people are always saying they're having more sex than they are. That's generally the case. Yeah. 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 We always like to put up a pretense. Yeah. But like for me, like it's such a, it's such a weird question because I'm sort of putting myself back to, to when I was in my early twenties or late teens and I was brought up in a Baptist family. And so it was like no sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to, to get married to your wife and then you'll have, um, have lovely sex with her <laughs> and God will arrange everything for you and everything will work out rosy, which for me was really weird growing up, um, like realizing that I was gay and that I probably wasn't going to get married to a woman. Um, and at that time in Australia, I couldn't get married to a man either. So it was all a bit of a, of a confusing blur. Mm. Um, but yeah, th- there is that pressure for people to um, to be more sexually active and to be more masculine um, and to show off to all of their friends uh, if you're in the rugby club. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is bravado um, and a lot of the stories that people tell don't really happen. Um, and yeah, as I've, as I've sort of gone through my life, I kind of realised that you just really do sex how you want to do it. And whoever you're with, it's just important with communication. Um, mm. And yeah, like you're, you're not wanting to be forcing yourself onto other people. You're wanting to get consent. Uh, and I think that's sort of left out of a lot of the conversations that happen in the, in the sports grounds. Yeah. I think it's also a thing that happens more with guys though. Like there's, there's, you know, I remember when I was in school, it was like, 
the boys were having a lot of sex, but if the girls were, it was a different case. And there's, there was always this like tussle between like keeping up those appearances of fitting into what you had to do because of your gender. Yeah. Well, if you were sexually promiscuous, you were either a stud or a slut. Like yeah. that's sort of the, the delineation. Mm. Um, did you have that same experience when you were going through high school? I was a late bloomer. I was a late bloomer. I, you were a slut or a stud? <laughs> I mean, I'm a slut now. Yeah, okay, that's but fine. in high school, I was just like, oh, no one talked to me. <laughs> uh, Blooming now. Yeah, look yeah. at me now. Yeah. yeah. Should, should we listen to the next one? Sure. Yeah. Hi, my name's Tim. Uh, I'm currently living in Sydney. And my question just relates to um, an issue that I've been having on and off over the years uh, since I was uh, in my late teens and, and early 20s when it sort of really started to get a bit worse. Um, and it's the this this sort of burning sensation, this pain that I have Sorry. In, in the shaft of my penis. <laughs> if, this has been hap- if this has been happening since your late teens, I feel like you've left it too long to go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. So it, it depends on what the rest of the history is. So mm. it may develop into something a little bit more. So I'm happy to go with the flow. Okay, see, what the, okay. see what the history Maybe shows Maybe I'm us. jumping the gun. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. And it happens sort of, you know, after I urinate or, or sometimes after I masturbate. And um, when it first started happening, I sort of, you know, thought maybe it was just something I ate or or drank and, and you know, my body was reacting to it a bit funny. But I couldn't really put up with it anymore, sort of in my early 20s, when the pain would sort of hang around for like at least an hour or so and it was happening more and more often. So, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd put off going to the to my local GP and, and decided to go and um, they couldn't find any any evidence of, of something like a UTI or um, something like that that's sort of Sorry. a simple explanation. Does food, can things affect your urine or your semen? And cause sensations down there, or is that just not a thing? Oh, so uh, so everything sort of like changes. If if you're breastfeeding, then the taste of the breast milk changes depending on what you're eating. Mm. Um, your urine will change depending on how well you're hydrated and what food you've been having. And also, semen is very similar as well. So um, that's all created. Most of the semen is pre- created in the prostate, and so yeah, like your diet can alter um, the the flavor, taste, smell, all of the above of of ejaculate. So um, so it can happen, um, but maybe not burning. Yeah, like it, it's rare for that to happen. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of looking at this in two scenarios. So the first scenario is whether it is like a UTI, a urinary tract infection, um, whether it's a sexually transmitted infection. And generally, yeah, if you go to see your GP, you'll pee in a cup. Um, the tests are amazing these days. We'll find out if you've got chlamydia or gonorrhea. Um, sometimes if that's negative, we'll go on and do another test um, looking for mycoplasma genitalium, um, the PCR of that. And so that's a, like a, a bit of an occult infection that sort of like can hang around and can cause weird symptoms, Mm. not the primary thing that we test for, but can cause problems. Mm. Um, But then if all of those infections are dealt with, then we're looking at other things and and what else could cause burning? Could it be like the difference in the pH of the the urine or the the semen? Could it be something that you're you're eating that you're also a little bit allergic to? Right. Um, And so some people like have weird and and wacky um, disorders where they're um, like allergic to some of the proteins that their own body produces. So like there are these sort of like rare as hen's teeth sort of situations. Um, that you you kind of need to be seeing a sexual health physician and, and delving in a little bit further um, to, to work out exactly what's causing that burning sensation. Mm. If I, you've excluded everything else, of course. <laughs> I'm really keen to see where this is going. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
they did want me to go see a specialist, but 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 they did warn it was going to be quite invasive. So um, I did put that off and, and didn't really follow through on that. Um, it still sort of happens every now and again, but but not as often as I've as I've gotten a bit older. Uh, so I suppose my the reason I'm I'm asking for this question is is there a, an easy explanation? What what sort of explanations could there be for it? And you know, hopefully, just to bring awareness to the issue because maybe it's more common than I think it is. Maybe there are men out there that are suffering, but they don't really know what to do about it. Thank you. Because it might be an invasive, you know, procedure doesn't mean that you should not go and do it. No, exactly. And and I think part of what's going on here is more the fear of the unknown yeah. as well. So if he was seeing a sexual health physician, for example, or going to one of the many sexual health clinics that are that are around Australia and around the world, um, then often you have like these really incredibly intelligent people mm. and often you don't need to do anything too invasive to, to sort things out. So yeah, like certainly you'd be wanting to check for Mycoplasma genitalium. That would be like a, a no-brainer. Um, so if he hasn't had that test done, yeah, get it done. Is that the same test? Uh, it's basically sending off a urine test. Yeah. But you've got requested on the slip. Right. Yeah. The other things that you'd be thinking about that could be a little bit more invasive would be seeing a urologist and, and then sometimes they'll be going, oh, well, what's happening with your urethra? Are there any ulcers or some other inflammatory mm. process that's going on? And so they, they will occasionally um, put a camera into the urethra and look along the urethra, so the inside of the penis and all the way into the bladder and just sort of see if there's any inflammation, any signs of bleeding, um, any ulcers. But again, like normally you'd have blood showing up mm. when you're sending off the urine. So they may not even consider doing that. Like, I think that would be very, very unlikely. Mm. And I think it's that fear of thinking about somebody putting a camera up your penis, which is stopping this person from going and getting some help, mm -hmm. where they're probably not going to do that. Mm. Um, the, uh, the old treatment or the old testing was really getting um, multiple swabs and then pulling those up the urethral opening. I think that's like still exists as legend today. Like people think that that's what's going to happen when they go and get a test, but it, yeah, it's so like, rare. Like it really, it, it doesn't happen. Like I've, I don't think I've ever done it in my entire career. What's worse, a COVID test or a urethra swab? Oh, mm, probably the urethra swab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're busting the myth. It doesn't happen. So um, if you've got um, a discharge that's there, then usually you just you swab the end of the penis and you've got enough discharge there to send off. Mm. So some doctors are still in the old-fashioned idea and they will sort of like put the swab up. Um, but yeah, like if that's about to happen, you can always say no. <laughs> like, can't I just do a urine test? Yeah. So the vast majority of the time, you'll just get a good result from doing your urine. Yeah. All right. Well, I think your advice to him is go to the doctor. If you're seeing a GP who's not that well equipped at dealing with sexual, uh, sexually transmitted infections, then yeah, go and see a, a different doctor. There are many sexual health clinics mm. around. Um, just find somebody who's got a little bit more knowledge in that area. And, and then th we can do a few more, few more tests, but it's unlikely to be invasive. And it's normally free. It's normally free. free. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, should we crack on to the interview? Sure. All right. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself and telling me what you do? Uh, my name is Dr. Brad Mackay, and I work as a GP in Sydney, mm -hmm. I'm in Darlinghurst. I do a little bit in the media as well, so I was one of the Embarrassing Bodies Down Under doctors. Um, a great TV show, by the way. Back in the day, yeah. So, uh, so I spent a lot of my time doing HIV medicine, um, sexual health, um, and talking about willies. I mean, and that's exactly why we've got you on. <laughs> I'm um, in the right room. <laughs> what do you think are some of the most common myths about men's sexual health? Hmm. So younger or older? Um, younger. Younger? I think one of the myths is that you've got to be able to be rock solid whenever you want to be. Mm. And 
anatomy is very different and life is very different. And there are so many nuances to uh, having a fulfilling sexual life. Mm. And like, even, even if you're young and healthy and fine, um, like you may find that your erection isn't going to be working every single time you want it to be. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of embarrassment when it doesn't work. Um, people get really worried and are really ashamed. Um, often their partner is fine about it and totally understanding, um, but it's just this um, this black cloud that gets over young guys' uh, heads, mm. um, literally both heads, um, <laughs> and, and stops them from, from really participating in sex um, in, in the future. It sort of like creates a bit of a hurdle. Yeah, there's this stigma around not being able to perform. Yeah, the, the, there's this expectation that your body is going to behave exactly how you want it to all the time. Mm. But anyone who has like terrible diarrhea knows that that's really not going to be true. <laughs> uh, and what are the main things that people, that, that men come in to see you about? Uh, so usually pain when they're peeing, yeah. Um, discharge when they're peeing, um, like usually like gonorrhea is going to be one of the major problems that's going to bring bring yeah. people to the doctor pretty quickly. Can you just like spot it as soon as they walk in? Now you're like, oh yeah, classic gonorrhea. Go on. Well, I don't normally spot it. It's usually from a history. So I normally <laughs> talk to them first. Right. Oh, uh, oh so you don't even have to see it. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, like the drippy dick syndrome is sort of like pretty common. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, if somebody's got discharge, then we usually treat them for chlamydia and gonorrhea at the same time, send off some tests, and then we can work out what else we need to do as well. Yeah. So the number one thing you see people for is gonorrhea. Uh, sexually transmitted infection-wise, right, yeah. that would be, yeah, it goes in and out of vogue. Sometimes there's more syphilis, more yeah. chlamydia. Yeah, depending God, on the weather, be, lockdowns. <laughs> that must be thrilling for you, like charting the trends. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like when you talk to your colleagues, you're like, have you seen a lot of chlamydia lately? They're like, yes, <laughs> yes, we have. So, uh, yeah, occasionally Shigella pops up What's from time that? to time. So Shigella is um, often um, spread from sex, um, usually anal sex, um, and causes like horrible, bloody diarrhea with a terrible fever. And so we see sort of like that escalations of these. Oh, it's pretty terrible. People could be quite sick. Some people go into hospital for it as well. Um, and often uh, if people have been going to a sex on premises venue, um, that's often when outbreaks will occur. Mm. And then like a lovely notification comes out from the from the local state government saying, hey, hey, it's maybe Shigella. you should be watching out for Shigella. <laughs> Somebody's coming in with bloody, bloody poo. Um, wow. Yeah, should be thinking about this uh, terrible infection. So these happen all the time. Yeah. I mean, we know that men, particularly straight men, don't go to their doctor or their sexual health clinic often. Why do you think that is? Because they rely on their female partners. Mm. Yeah, and I tell them off all the time. <laughs> so, uh, like, often, like, young young guys will come in, heterosexual, and um, and they'll and I'll say, when, when was the last time that you had a sexual health check? Mm. And it's so common for them to say never. Um, or they'll say, oh, well, yeah, no, I've been with my girlfriend for the last six months and, like, she got checked out, so everything's fine. And, like, I suppose on one hand, yeah, look, if they haven't got gonorrhea or chlamydia so far and their, their partner's tests are okay, the chance of them, them having something is low. Um, but also uh, get some, like, damn responsibility for yourself as well. Yeah. Like, why rely on somebody else for your own health? Yeah. Um, and it is worthwhile, like, having a chat with a GP and, and doing a blood test. Like, we're not going to be, like, thinking about syphilis or, or HIV. Um, your partner may not have had those tests done, but that can still be lurking in the background and, and not cause problems even for years. Yeah, because you can have an STI and not show symptoms, right? Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. So fifty percent of people who have syphilis don't have any symptoms whatsoever. 50%. You'll only find out from doing a blood test for it. Fifty yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other fifty percent will have like a, a painless ulcer called a chancre, which is either on their penis or their genitalia, or on their tongue or the inside of their mouth, somewhere on their skin, um, or else, yeah, like a, if if it's not diagnosed for a while and it goes on for decades, then your brain melts um, and you end up getting dementia. So it, it's sort of like important to to have that tested um, earlier rather than later. <laughs> wow, you've just put the fear in me. <laughs> well, I'm 50%. sure you have regular sexual health checks. I do, but 50% is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and a lot of people are surprised. So, like, I, I have diagnosed uh, syphilis in some people who say, oh, but but I've I've only been with my partner um, and, yeah, like we're monogamous. Yeah. They've got syphilis, so something's happened. Um, and then Someone's lying. Yeah, somebody's lying. Uh, and then often they don't realise that oral sex is still sex. Mm. And so they might be getting a gobby on the side, but they don't actually count that as sort of like cheating in the relationship or anything outside their monogamous relationship, which sure. is really monogamish rather than monogamous. Uh, and But, yeah, like people are really shocked that they could actually get something from oral sex. Yeah. Bloody hell. Um, let me just check, let me just check my so, notes. Do you need a fan? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so common, I think, among men that you know, there, there, there's this whole idea of not wearing a condom because it doesn't feel good or their their erection's not the same or whatever. But what do you think it is? Why? why what's the real reason behind people not wanting to wear condoms? Because it is the first line of defence. Yeah, so like I, I think it, it offers amazing protection against a whole range of different sexually transmitted mm. infections. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't think many people like wearing condoms. Um, so really? some some people with premature ejaculation will actually um, find that it's beneficial because they can last a little bit longer because their sensitivity is decreased a little bit, mm. and so it can work very well for them. Um, but uh, for many people um, who have a normal sensitivity and a normal time of of having sex, then they can just find that they'll they'll go soft really quickly that they don't um, have enough sort of stimulation from that contact with sex, um, that they that they just have lots of difficulty. I just think they're lying. No, like uh, I think there is, a, there is a spectrum of sensitivity, Rowdy. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so I don't think you can say that everybody's <laughs> just lying about it. So like I think that a lot of people do have trouble um, with, with having sex sometimes. Um, again, you're kind of going, well, yeah, are you, are you getting soft because you've just had like far too much alcohol yeah. and then you're blaming the condom right. at the end of, of all of that grog. So there are there are many things that can happen in the scenario. But, um, but yeah, like I, I have talked with many patients who have tried using condoms and, yeah, like everything goes soft and things don't work. Yeah. So they're either not using condoms or else they might need to use something like Viagra or some some other sort of um, uh, assistance mm. to be able to maintain that firmness during sex. Is that your advice that they use Viagra or... Well, if you're young and healthy, then uh, <laughs> then try not to use Viagra. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like if, if you're... What, needing to use condoms, then yep, use use condoms if you can. Um, if you're having trouble, then of course talk to your doctor and see if that's appropriate for you. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, like in the gay scene as well, like a lot of people aren't um, wanting to use condoms at all. And so prep, um, pre-exposure prophylaxis has come into mm. into the into the fray, and and so a lot of people are just taking one tablet a day um, or prep on demand, so a few tablets over a few days um, to protect themselves from getting HIV. Mm. Um, so it won't protect you from getting gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis, um, but a lot of people think, oh, well, 
if I get those, I'll be able to treat it with antibiotics. Sure. Uh, if I get HIV, then that can be lifelong. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they're they're happy to sort of like take that that balance of pros and cons. Do you think the best cocktail though is a mix of all of them? Because like, the condom's not a hundred percent effective. Are you using cocktail on purpose? <laughs> no, but I, I wish I had. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, more emphasis. <laughs> um, I think it is variable for everybody. So, like, you've really got to make your, your own assessment. So, for, mm. for women, um, they may be on the contraceptive tablet and that's stopping them from getting pregnant, but then they're also wanting that double protection as well. So, they might be wanting their partner to, to use condoms too. Yeah, like, it, it's whatever is going to be suiting you, whatever's going to make you more comfortable in that situation um, and less uh, anxious about having sex. Mm. Okay, I've got a bit of a, um, a list of men's sexual health questions. Do you mind if I just fire them at you? It'll be just like a clinic appointment. Oh, should, well, should, we, should we role play it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. What, what would you like your name to be? Oh, this is the biggest decision I've made all day. <laughs> Uh, James. Yeah. Well, James, um, what's brought you into the clinic today? Um, I think that a lot of guys are concerned about the look and the size of their penis. Is mine normal? (laughs) Just Um, for the record, I'm fully clothed. (laughs) Yes, at the moment. (laughs) Get up on the couch. Um, Yeah, I've had this question a few times in the clinic and it's quite interesting. So the vast majority of the time... um, People are really normal. Like uh, they, they may have like, um, like we talk about getting um, pearly penile papules. So um, little round um, lumps that can be around the the, the glands mm. or around the, the neck of the penis. And so um, people get freaked out by them. They think that they're warts. Um, some people like use nail scissors to try to cut them off. Um, and yeah, like they're, they're just a normal variation of, of your anatomy. So uh, with that in mind, like often just reassurance is really helpful. Uh-huh. Um, Sometimes they can be really big, and so we need to use some liquid nitrogen, just like we'd be using that for warts as well, and um, and buff and shine the shape of their penis to make it a little bit better. Um, but uh, yeah, it's very rare that you get somebody going, "Oh, look, is something wrong?" And like, "Whoa!" Like they need to see a urologist tomorrow. Yeah, I think there's this myth that the average penis size is a lot larger than what it is. Um, yeah, there are, there are many myths about that. And I think a lot of people watch porn where you're going to have a bit more of, you're going to have a bias with that. But yeah, like there are so many um, different sizes and shapes and permutations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose one of the one of the problems that I do see quite often that, that young guys don't really deal with or mm-hmm. they don't even understand that it's a problem is, um, is having like a, a phimosis. So where their, their foreskin is really tight. Mm-hmm. So they, they haven't had a circumcision when they were younger. Um, their foreskin's really tight. And then whenever they're getting an erection, like it, it's really painful because they, they can't get straight. Um, their penis is sort of like, like curved. trapped inside of yeah, the skin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, there's a, a, um, yeah, an entrapment from, from the, uh, like a band of tight foreskin wow. that's stopping them from actually getting an erection. Um, and so some people just don't realize that there's actually like, when we talk about the the head of the penis, there's also a neck um, that's there as well. And some people have never seen the neck of their penis. So they pull down their foreskin as far as they can. And then it sort of stops at the the base of their glands. So like their penis is wearing a skivvy right. and it, it never, <laughs> right. they can never like get that skivvy down any further. And so that's often where a lot of the sensitivity is around the, that part right. of, the, of the glands. Um, and yeah, people, 
people just don't realize. So um, some people are late bloomers, so puberty can uh, can affect them really late, um, and they may not fully sort of like have their testosterone coming in and, and helping the foreskin to separate from the glands, and so it can get stuck. Mm. And some people are even in their late 20s or even in their 30s, and they've never like seen their full penis um, because um, their, their skivvy hasn't come down properly. I mean, this conversation wasn't on my notes, but what, <laughs> what should you do if you're listening to this and you think that that might be you. Um, yeah, go and see your doctor about it. And that's one of the times that you really need to be going in yeah. and saying, hey, can you look at my penis? Because I don't know if this is normal or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I think some people who watch a bit of porn and, and do um, look at other penises more frequently, they'd be able to sort of see that there's a difference between theirs and, and somebody else's. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like a lot of people don't watch porn. Um, they, they That's not part of their world um, and they may have had one sexual partner and that that's all that they've seen as mm. well, that one penis. And so uh, like often this can go under the radar for, for a long period of time. So sometimes like you need to see a urologist and and, um, and have an operation. Um, the step before that will sometimes use like a really strong steroid ointment um, and that's a, a way of sort of like making the, the skin a little bit more malleable so it can progress a little bit more and get get your penis through that last part of puberty mm. um, to develop properly. And did you say it was popular? You have to see a lot of people with this. Yeah, it's not It's not, um, it's not, not all that common. Mm. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's just, yeah, the, the odd person who comes in and they've just got no awareness that this is a, a problem that they're needing to deal with. Yeah. They, they could have a better sex life if they weren't in pain and having their penis bent <laughs> when they're trying to thrust. <laughs> um, but what if I come in and I've got uh, a lump on my testicle? Yeah. So, um, on your testicle or scrotum? Testicle. Mm. So that is uh, very important, and we need to get that checked out. Mm. So, um, so with the the three main things that we think about anatomy in your your genitals around that area. So one is the scrotum. So if you've got a lump in the scrotum, so the outer part of the skin, it's usually a sebaceous cysts or blocked oil gland. Um, and sometimes we pop it and then lots of like cheesy stuff comes out like brie. Um, and then... And that would be sort of a great Dr. Pimple Popper video. It is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think they're allowed to put those on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the other part is your testicles. And then at the back of your testicle is your epididymis. So if you've got a lump on your epididymis, it's often like a cyst. Uh -huh. um, so just a fluid-filled structure, not a major problem, generally speaking. Um, sometimes your epididymis can get inflamed and infected, so that can be more of a problem. But then if we're looking at the testicle itself, if you've got like a rock and uh, coming out of your testicle and growing, then we get very, very worried about testicular cancer. So it's, uh, apart from melanoma in Australia, it's sort of like the second most common um, cancer that young men get. Wow. So um, so really, really important. Um, and yeah, you, you don't want to miss it. Um, sometimes if, the, if a cancer is growing within the middle of the testicle as well, then the whole testicle gets bigger. And so somebody would just notice that one testicle is increasing in size. So it's not that typical rock or lump, um, but yeah, just a, like a little bit of pressure um, and yeah, just that change in size. Yeah. Again, you're wanting to get that checked out. You're wanting to be examined by a doctor and you're wanting to at least get an ultrasound to see if it's something that you need to be worried about or mm. not. Okay. So let's say I have a lump in my testicle, or maybe I've got phimosis, or I've got some discharge, but I'm uncomfortable about going to the doctor. Do you have any advice or suggestions on how to make it a more comfortable experience? Sure. So um, so I normally recommend for everybody to have their own GP and have somebody that they're comfortable talking with. Um, so if you've got a GP who you don't feel comfortable with, then find a new GP. There yeah. are plenty of us around. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, if you've got that already in place, then that's easy. Um, if you're feeling uncomfortable about 
like showing your testicle to somebody else or showing your penis to somebody else, then like it's, it's easy enough to just preface it with your doctor beforehand and just say, look, I'm feeling really uncomfortable about this. I haven't talked to anybody else about this, mm. um, I, but I've got a problem and I'm wanting to talk to you about it. Like, I think if you put that up front, it just sort of decreases some of that anxiety um, and yeah, just puts you a bit more at ease. Mm. So if you're, if you're just really wanting to be like random and anonymous, um, there are many sexual health clinics. So every major city in Australia and really around the world, will have a sexual clinic that you can walk into and, yep. and be seen. Um, sometimes you don't need to even give your Medicare number or your name. You can just make up a name, go in as James. Um, and <laughs> it's not where I got that name from, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, so that's a way of also like seeing a sexual health um, professional who knows what they're doing. They do this every day. Yeah. Um, they're going to be very blasé about it. Uh, you're you're going to be like a bit of a conveyor belt of, yeah. of, of penises coming through that day. And so some people find that that's a little bit more reassuring because you're not going to be the worst. You're not going to be the best that day. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be in the middle. Um, and you know that you're going to get appropriate care, that nobody's going to laugh at you. Um, they're going to be treating you with respect. Um, and yeah, like they're, they're going to do everything um, that's professionally required at that time. And do those clinics offer a faster service than a GP? Uh, depends on the GP clinic. Yeah. So um, so some of the sexual health clinics are sort of set up with automated responses. So once the doctor has sort of like gone through the results and said, yes, no, yes, no, then often you'll get a text message straight away um, telling you what the result is. Mm. So um, if you're seeing a GP, then um, yeah, we might have a day off or have the weekend and then come back into the office and then find your result and then give you a call or yeah, tell you about it. So there's less of an automated system. So mm. that can sort of slow down that process. Yeah. I feel like also people always like, oh, I don't want to go to the to my GP because I've been going since I was a kid or like oh my, yeah, like, like my I've been going to, to my as well. my parents' yeah. GP. Yeah. yeah, I've been going to the same GP since I was born. Yeah, and yeah, they, they don't really want to be talking about sex with the so like the um, GPs are bound by confidentiality. So if you go into the problem, then they're they're bound um, by by what we do as a medical profession mm. or with confidentiality that they're not going to tell your family about it. Mm. But uh, but I think uh, a lot of people do get worried about that um, and they don't want anything to slip or yeah or have that as being a problem. And it's difficult to often open up to somebody who knows your mum or knows your dad. Mm. You're just not going to be um, as open with your conversation compared to having your own GP that you've been seeing who who doesn't have like your yeah. frequent uh, conversations with your parents. <laughs> How often should guys be going to a sexual health clinic or to a GP? Uh, so if, if uh, like we normally say, if you're on prep, if you're having lots of, of sex, then we would be expecting you to go to the sexual health clinic every three months. So um, during COVID and lockdowns, I've sort of said, oh, well, if you're having sex a little bit less often, then maybe go every six months or so. Um, if you're really sporadic, then maybe once every year if necessary. Um, and yeah, I, I still have many patients who they're still having their own sexual lockdown at the moment. Sexual lockdown. <laughs> well, they don't want to get COVID. They don't want to get flu. Oh, They're a little sure, bit petrified. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Monkeypox. Yeah, Monkeypox is the next thing as well. Mm. Um, so there are many patients who have just, yeah, decided to be a bit celibate for a while. Gosh. And so what about people who aren't taking PrEP, maybe straight guys? How often should they be getting tested for chlamydia or gonorrhea or everything? So yeah, it really depends on the frequency of sex. But yeah, if you're if you're out there, if you're free and easy and, and getting out there, lots of partners, then yeah, every three months is uh, a very good idea. Um, why do you think that guys in general avoid going to the doctor? I think guys don't generally want to talk about their own problems. They will like to think that they're invincible and don't need any help with mm. anything. Um, 
yeah, I, I think it's tough sometimes to talk about your own issues. Mm. Um, and yeah, a, there can be a bit of bravado. We're sort of mentioning at the start that, uh, yeah, if you're in the, in the, the rugby um, change room, there is a, yeah, like nobody wants to sort of like show any weakness yeah. in those situations. Um, but yeah, like I think times are changing. Uh, I think people are getting, like guys are getting more um, interested or more accepting of going to the doctor. They're sort of like seeing that that's a healthy thing to do. Oh, that's good to know that you've seen it change. Or slowly change. Slowly change, yeah. yeah. But yeah, like as I, as I was saying, people will often rely on their partner to uh, to have their sexual health checks done yeah. and sort of like have that as a yeah a, a quasi um, medical appointment for yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if no one's texted me that they've got an STI, I possibly can't have one. <laughs> That's how it works, right? Well, they don't like you. Yeah. Well, they just can't find my number. <laughs> they blocked it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Um, okay. This is your chance to jump on the soapbox. Is there anything Ooh. about men's health and sexual health that I haven't brought up that you really want to talk about? Oh, that's a big open question. I think one of the things that is probably worthwhile mentioning um, is about like premature ejaculation. Mm. Um, is yeah. it more common? Yeah, like a lot of people just get really embarrassed about it and they find that they're a failure. Like that's how they view themselves. Mm-hmm. That Like they can muck around and do lots of hand stuff and mouth stuff and and then when they actually get to penetrative sex, like it's all over, the game is over. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a lot of embarrassment with that. Um, there's a lot of um, misinformation online about like how you can um, treat yourself. Um, yeah, I was just about to say, what causes it? Yeah. So, well, this is the issue. So what our understanding of it at the moment is that it's more sort of like how somebody is like genetically, yeah, like wired. Right. So it's not due to like anything that they've done or anything about the way that they're having sex, um, but it's just like they're at that part of the bell curve. Mm. So if you've got a bell curve, um, you'll have some people that will be lasting 10 hours and not coming and having wild sex um, all the time. Uh, And then you've got most people are in the middle who will be able to have penetrative sex for a few minutes. Um, so maybe half an hour if they're lucky. And then you've got the other end of the bell curve where it's over within a couple of minutes or even less. Mm. And so it's it's part of the the um, the myriad of life and, and being human uh, is that, yeah, like the, there is that variability. So um, the evolutionary reason is that um, that um, that those genes could be propagated very, um, very quickly if you're having a quick shag in the bush. Um, right. If you've got to like be having sex for 10 hours, then you may not be part Passing on your genes so you're as saying easily. it's a positive thing. Well, evolutionarily, evolutionary, yes, it is a positive thing. thing. Uh, for your own sex life, it can be a very negative thing. Mm. And so a lot of people will try like handhold methods and um, like pushing on their, their perineum to sort of like stop themselves from, from coming, which it just does, doesn't very like work very well. It also sounds a bit like wellness hoo-ha. Yeah, and it could be like quite painful. And I think a lot of people get into like try to go into tantric stuff as well. And like it doesn't doesn't work because your genes, your evolution is working against you. Mm. And so um so sometimes we actually do need to be looking at medication. And so sometimes like uh, if uh, if we're talking about mental health stuff, um, we'll often talk about like using medication that works on serotonin, increases the serotonin in your brain. And one of the side effects of like many uh, like anxiety and depression medications is that it can make people like make it more difficult for people to come. Mm. And so if you've got a normal sex life, that can be really frustrating. Um, but if you've got premature ejaculation, it can actually bring you into that normal part of that bell curve. Really? Yeah. And so, and sometimes even like very small doses of antidepressant medication can be enough to sort of like treat that premature ejaculation mm. and be much more successful than, yeah, like meditation and tantric 
stuff and yeah. push, push it on your gooch. On you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think there's a lot of um, companies that have like preyed on young people as well and sold them like medication for mm. like exorbitant amounts of money. I've had some patients spending even like a thousand dollars a month, Holy which is dolly. just crazy. Um, and so some of the medications are very cheap, easy. Um, they've been off patent for ages, very affordable. Um, but yeah, you just need to be having a, a chat with your doctor about it and then finding out what's, what could be working for you. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I feel like I've learned. I haven't come on the podcast, but I've been here. <laughs> I feel like I've learned more than I anticipated I would today. Well, that that is uh, interesting when you've been talking about sex for a lot of your life, Rowdy. Uh, I'm glad I could uh, produce a few more pearls for you today. Thank you. I feel like there's always something to learn. Definitely, definitely. And that's it. Another episode of Talking Frank. Thank you to the boys who sent in their DMs and thank you to Dr. Brad McKay for your expertise. If you want more information, you can go to frank.org.au, give the Family Planning Australia talk line a buzz, or there's even some extra information in the show notes below. To be frank, though, I think we should all stop this podcast and go to the doctor. Even if you don't think there's anything wrong, just go to the doctor. 